Father, thank you once again for this morning. Thank you for the fact that we are able to rejoice regardless of what's happening circumstantially because indeed we have this great promise that Jesus will keep us to the very end. And we are thankful for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to be talking about courage, which is a crucial topic Courage. You need courage in athletics. You need courage in the military. You need courage when it comes to business ventures. You need courage in life. Anytime you're going to do something difficult where there might be opposition, there might be stress involved, there might be pushback, you have to have a measure of courage. And it certainly is the case, if you are a Christian, that you need courage. You will be opposed by some and at times because of your belonging to Christ. And you'll have to do hard things sometimes. You'll have to say hard things. You'll have to not back down and compromise basic Christian convictions. And so you're going to need to have courage. And so that's our topic this morning. And this morning what we're going to do is look at courage in Acts 27. So please find the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. It's the second to the last chapter in the book of Acts where we are going to see courage modeled. Uh, if there's one thing that it's about, it's about courage. We're going to talk about the source of courage, but I, I, I want to hold off on that. I want you to be thinking about that. Later on, we'll talk deliberately where the Apostle Paul got his courage from and where Christians need to get their courage from. And it has to do with knowing certain things. But I just want to kind of push pause on that one to get you thinking. and Let that kind of percolate. Let that kind of um, build. But we are going to see the Apostle Paul being, being courageous. And so in Acts 27, he's courageous. And we're going to see why in just a little while. Maybe something else to get us there. If you're just joining us, we're almost done. Uh, we have one more week. Lord willing, we'll do Acts 28 next week. But the book of Acts is all about the actions of the early church. So uh, opening up with Peter being the one with the stress on Peter. He's an apostle. And the men and women who, and boys and girls, if you will, who helped him spread the gospel in the first century. That's what the book opens up with. And then it closes with, or the second part, if you will, focuses on the Apostle Paul. Peter's focus was on the Jews, but not exclusively. There were Gentiles involved. Paul's focus is on Gentiles, non-Jews, but not exclusively. There are Jews involved. But it's all about this unique time where the apostles were carrying the baton, if you will, uh, after Jesus ascended. I should also say this for those of you who are newer. I'm always thankful that new people are coming. An apostle... Is something extraordinary. Is someone who is extraordinary. So an apostle is one, for example, one of the qualifications we learn in the New Testament for an apostle is they had to be an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. They had to actually see him with their own eyes in history to be qualified to be an apostle. And that's because they had a unique function. There weren't very many of them. We don't have them now, but they were to carry on his ministry, if you will. An the word apostle it means one who has unique authority. They have the authority of the one who has commissioned them. So it's a messenger, yes, but more than a messenger, they 
have this unique authority. So early church had apostles because the groundwork was being laid. Ephesians 2.20 talks about the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So we have Peter is a key apostle. Paul's a key apostle in the book of Acts. Uh, when things are, things are settling in, if you will, so that then we can come along as men and women, boys and girls who aren't apostles, but things are more settled for us. So in Acts 27, uh, we let's go ahead and pick it up, lest I give you introduction after introduction after introduction. Let's just go ahead and do verse 1 at least. It says in Acts 27, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, that would be from Israel, from Caesarea or Caesarea, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. So what brings us to that place? Well, I've already mentioned some of the things that have brought us to this place. But the Apostle Paul's been arrested. He's been imprisoned for over two years, not because he's broken the law, but because he's offended a bunch of people. And he's offended them because he's been preaching the good news of salvation in Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus born in Bethlehem, Jesus who was crucified, Jesus who was raised from the dead, that Jesus. And Paul's been preaching hope right? Confidence about your future, because if you trust in Jesus, who was raised from the dead, you too know that life doesn't end with your death. You'll be guaranteed resurrection as well. Sometimes people don't like good news, so they're opposing him for that. That's what brings us to this place. Not only that, the apostle Paul, because he's a Roman citizen, has appealed to Caesar. And at this point in time, if you are a Roman citizen and you appeal to Caesar for justice, you can appear before Caesar. And so that's what's brewing. That's why he's headed from Caesarea to Italy so that he can stand before Caesar. And he knows that he's going to stand before Caesar because Jesus in Acts 23 verse 11 told him that he was going to. Already a hint about courage. It does say in Acts 23, 11, it says the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Maybe one more thing about what brings us to this place, and that would be, did you happen to notice that it does say, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul. So this isn't new. The we has been introduced earlier, or we has been introduced earlier, but it's been some time now. I think it was maybe back in chapter 21, if it's off the top of my head. So it's not Paul alone. Luke is involved as well as well as others, traveling companions. So we've learned on other occasions where we've seen we, that Luke, Dr. Luke, Colossians 4 tells us that he was a medical doctor. And in the past, we've learned in chapter 1 of Acts and in chapter 1 of Luke, if you read those introductory accounts of those two books, that it's volume 1, Luke, volume 2, Acts. And Dr. Luke gives the details. He gives the historical details. Guess what we're going to do today? Look at a lot of details. You're going to learn more about sailing and more about ships than you probably ever want to. Okay? It's, a, it's a whole lot of details about that today. But Luke, on purpose, is, is sketching the details because he wants to give a credible eyewitness account so that those who read it, to go back to Luke 1, can have certainty. Okay? Christians should have a good measure of certainty about the historical things that happened in Luke, the life and ministry of Jesus, in Acts, the life and ministry of the early church. 
We should have a level of confidence that's not um, weak. It's actually strong. And so today, as you're learning all of the nautical kind of stuff, and you're like, oh my goodness. It does serve a good apologetic defense of the faith kind of purpose. Luke's giving you enough detail that you can say, yeah, he was there. This isn't made up. This isn't some kind of dream. This isn't some kind of um, made up sort of thing. So let's move on to verse 2, and I promise to not stop after every verse, only sometimes. Verse 2 says, and embarking in a ship of Adramidium, so that would be home port north of Ephesus, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, that would be Asia Minor. So it seems, they're, they're in Israel, it seems that must be where that ship is from. So it's from way up north around Ephesus, but it's made its delivery, if you will, and now it's going to make its way back home, if you will. So home port being Adraminium, and it's going to make its way back up and stop of those ports along the coast of Asia, Asia Minor. Then we keep going after the comma. We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. We met him already in chapter 19 and in chapter 20 as a fellow travel traveling companion, part of the we group. Verse 3 says, the next day we put in at Sidon, so some 70 nautical miles north of Caesarea on the Mediterranean, that would be in current Lebanon. Verse 3 goes on to say, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So, reading between the lines, he's not a flight risk. Uh, he's made it very, very clear he wants to go to Rome, uh, and he's going to go to Rome, and so we can go ahead... Uh, Roman citizen, given his name is Julius, uh, reading between the lines, uh, to a fellow Roman citizen who's made it clear he wants to go there, we'll let you go see your friends. Let's keep going now. Verse 4, and putting out to sea from there, we sailed under Lee of Cyprus. It means a shelter. It means protection. Why did the ESV translators put Lee in there? I don't know. Uh, shelter, protection. We're going to see it again. So we're, they're in, in my cycling brain, they're going to draft. Okay, they're going to go behind. They're going to go behind something to get out of the wind, uh, to be more successful. Let's keep going because the winds were against us, and when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. So, port town, southwest Asia Minor. Paul knows about this place because in Acts twenty-two verse three, it says he was born in Tarsus in Cilicia. So, this is home turf for him. So they're making the rounds. His missionary journey, this time by way of boat, if you will, slowly making their way back to the home port on their way to Italy so that he can stand before Caesar. Let's keep going. Verse 6, there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So ship change, just like when you're at the airport, you have to change flights. Um, they're going to change ships at this point in time. We're going to see it's likely a grain ship based upon the fact that they're going to be dumping grain overboard later when things get risky uh, in verse 38. But for now, we see they, sh- they make a ship change. If it is a grain freighter, 140 feet long, 36 feet wide. Pretty big ship they go to now. And I did... Too much research. I'm a boat guy. We grew up with boats, but I learned more about boats than I wanted to learn this week about these ancient world boats. But anyway, uh, the downside is it's a grain ship, hard to maneuver, doesn't work very well in less than ideal conditions, and that sets us up for problems to come. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 7, we sailed slowly 
for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee or the shelter of Crete off Salmane. That's also on Crete, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, also on Crete. James Montgomery Boyce said that must have been named by the local chamber of commerce. Fair Havens, because it's known historically for being anything but a fair haven. It's known for being a place that's rough and windy and difficult, but it's also on the island of Crete, near which was the city of Lassia or Lassie, also on Crete. So they're going around the island of Crete with all of these different towns on the island of Crete. I was just talking to someone this morning who was just on the island of Crete. Let's go to verse 9. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast, that would be the Jewish Passover fast, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur kind of fast, was already over. So Paul knows that it's getting late in the season. That means late September, early October, or Luke is recording that for us anyway. It says, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. I need to take a breath and ask you a question. So why do you think Paul speaks up here? Well, it's not because of special revelation. It doesn't say the Lord appeared to him or through an angel of the Lord or something. It doesn't say that. Um, it's he, He's a tent maker, uh, religious teacher. Uh, he wasn't a sailor in an earlier life as far as we know. He was shipwrecked three times, so maybe there's a little bit of experience, but we have to question w- when the timing fits in with that. But that's Second Corinthians. Um, it's because Christians know better than everybody else about everything. <laughs> No, that's not the case. I, I guess we just have to do a little guessing and say he's, he's a perceptive individual, right? He knows a thing or two about how things work when it comes to travel. Given how late it is, we just had Passover. Given the time of year that it is, uh, that's, that's a hard trip to make in the Mediterranean. This is risky. This probably shouldn't be done. He wasn't born yesterday. I think that's probably the the best thing is to conclude. He's just a perceptive individual. Maybe they want to get there. Maybe they want to push it. And again, we're just guesstimating, but commentators do this. They want to get there earlier because it it was known, it is known, that you would get a bonus if you got your freight there early or you'd get paid the full amount if you got it there on time, if you're willing to take risks. Not altogether different from the way sometimes things work today. That window for safety seems to either be closing or is closed. Verse 11 then says, But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. I probably would too. Um, Right? Verse 12, And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in... Say it's a it's a not a place where you want to be. It's maybe it's a boring port. Maybe there's not enough going on. Maybe there are not enough provisions. The majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. If we could just go like maybe another oh I don't know maybe fifty or so miles, it doesn't take that much longer. And who doesn't want a winter with the snowbirds in Phoenix? Some things don't change, right? Different Phoenix. But you get the idea. It's, it, it's, it, there's more action there. There are more supplies there. You know, if you're a sailor, there's better nightlife there. It's where you want to be. We don't want to be here. We want to be there. So let's just go a little bit further and we'll have a better time wintering. 
Verse 13 says, Now when the south wind blew gently, oh, looking good so far. We might catch a sun's game, right? When the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor, maybe maybe to slow it down a little bit, I don't know, and sailed along Crete close to the shore, looking good, seems like we made the right choice, and then verse 14 goes crazy. But soon a tempestuous wind called the nor'easter, it's actually named after a, a, a deity, so depending on on how they're thinking, it, it came to be known uh, in its generic sense, but it had previously previously been known by the deity's name. So maybe they think that this God is mad at us. Either way, it's this severe kind of out of nowhere, difficult, dangerous wind. The translator, translators have called it a northeaster. It's actually a you uh, you you're uh, you're a coulone. <laughs> I had to think about my Greek for a second here. Okay, let's go with Nor'easter. <laughs> the God, the deity known as Nor'easter, the Nor'easter God is the idea. Okay, with that in mind, it does say this tempestuous wind called the Nor'easter struck down from the land. Verse 15, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, right? Helpless is the idea. Verse 16, running under the lee or the protection of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. That would be its small boat, its skiff, its small little boat, if you will, when you would anchor out uh out of ways, you'd bring this boat in. That's that kind of boat. After hoisting it up, they use supports, likely ropes. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna strap the boat together and make it stronger as they would then with rope to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run agr- aground on the Sirtis, that would have been this j- dreaded ship graveyard off the north coast of Africa. All kinds of sandbar shoals, uh, all kinds of abandoned ships there. They're afraid of that. They lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Verse 18 says, Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. At least some of it. They're still going to have some of it. But you get the idea. All right, what can we get rid of to save our necks? Well, let's get rid of the least important stuff first, maybe. And then now we're going to have to get rid of more things because we want to be more buoyant so we don't run uh, up on the, the sandbars or rocks or whatever it is, the shoals. But they're panicking. They're not in control. They might be expert sail, sail, sailors. But they can't save themselves at this point in time. Then it says in verse 19, And on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard. And with their own hands, maybe stressing, it's not just the servants doing this. Now it's all hands on deck, including those who are important. This is an emergency. 20 says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Couple of things. There's a big debate about whether or not this is to teach us about salvation. And some people say, absolutely, this is an allegory about how to be saved. And some people say, absolutely not, it's not an allegory about how to be saved. It's about life on the rough Mediterranean. 
So let's take a vote and split the church. <laughs> let's not. Well, first and foremost, it's a historical narrative about how the Apostle Paul is trying to get himself to Rome. It's definitely about that. All the details are about that. But I don't mind, just like when we read the Psalms and talking about being delivered, being saved, as you know what? There's a temporary deliverance from my enemies that David calls for, but it certainly anticipates an ultimate deliverance and only the Lord can ultimately deliver, just like the sovereign God can be the one who, who is the one who temporarily delivers. They need to be delivered. They need to be saved. They're helpless. There's only one way to be delivered when you're helpless, and ultimately it's God. So I don't, I don't mind seeing that as a picture. I'm not going to read into it and say, and you know the three days is symbolic of Jesus being in... I don't think that necessarily is the intention here. But you know what? Every picture, including the movies you watch, where people are perhaps a damsel in distress... Right? There, there, there's one ultimate great story of deliverance. And when all the odds are against success and all the odds are against life and somehow amazingly this savior figure steps in and rescues, you say, you know what? That's the greatest story ever told. And there's a reason why it resonates with people. Because ultimately there's one ultimate deliverer and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I, I would invite you to see that theme all over God's green earth, not just in Acts 27. <laughs> okay, well, I hope we didn't split the church. I don't think we did. Well, that was the first thing I wanted to mention. To mention. Uh, when all hope is abandoned, uh, they need to be delivered by something other than themselves, even if they're professional sailors. I guess I also wanted to ask you, how many of you have ever been in out to sea? Some? None? Yeah, some. How about tumultuous kind of seas? Have any of you ever been out to sea and you've been afraid? It could be pretty scary. The ocean calls for respect pretty quick, right? Even if you've just gotten in, you know, the Pacific Ocean, not very deep, before you know it, you think surfing is easy and you're now just waiting in the water and you're like, uh, okay, <laughs> what's for lunch? It's powerful, Right? I've never thought my life was going to be in danger. One time, though, Molly and I took a probably a, a boat that maybe held 350 people. We were going from Long Beach to Catalina Island, maybe. And there was a storm. And we just tried to play a game. Like, this is like Magic Mountain, right? <laughs> this is like worlds of fun. Isn't this, isn't this fun? You know, and the big swells. And, and the, the one thing I can remember is you couldn't go to the bathroom. Why? Because the bathroom was like the vomitorium. <laughs> to speak in good old Roman kind of language. And that, there was no way I was going to go use the restroom. Because like 90% of the people, I, it was just like the grossest thing you could ever imagine. So what's for lunch? <laughs> the ocean is, 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 is a powerful reality, right? We've, we've seen Master and Commander and all these great movies about the ocean and the seas. It is a force to be reckoned with. And these professional sailor, sailors are desperate. They consider themselves abandoned. They have no hope, it actually says. And so we have a huge problem. No drama mean either. How about verse 21? 
Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. I wasn't so dumb after all, was I? Verse 22 says, Yet now I urge you to take heart. This is where I got the courage idea. Some translations translate it, Take up your courage. Take heart. Be heartened, right? Be courageous. Be bold. Don't be afraid. Well, the circumstances are demanding fear. There's no hope. But Paul says, be courageous. Have courage. It still begs the question, based upon what? Courage because you should be courageous. No. Let's keep going. He says in verse 22, For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So you can be courageous because I just need you to know you're not going to die. You're going to live. Where does that come from? What's the secret ingredient, if you will? Well, the secret, if you will, is not a secret. But look at verse 23 with me. Don't miss it. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, as we all knew from chapter 23, verse 11. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart. Verse 25 says, in other words, be encouraged. In other words, be courageous, so take heart, men, for I have faith in courage. No, it doesn't say I have faith in courage. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been, really important, told. So it's not faith in general, it's not faith in courage, it's not faith in faith, it's faith in God, and God has offered a promise not in general, that you'll never die, that every, you know, it'll be smooth sailing, ha, 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 from now on. It's not that. There's a, sp- a specific promise that you're going to live. You're going to get to Rome. Here's what I want you to remember, and I'll stress this again at the end. The courage is coming to Paul, and he's saying you can have courage also. The courage comes because of special revelation, right? And when we say as Christians, special revelation, we mean not because of the way things looked, but because God spoke to him. God gave him special revelation, not revelation he gives to everybody, but he gave him, the apostle Paul, special revelation and based upon God's word, in other words, He could have confidence even though things looked disastrous. He could have courage regardless of how things looked because he had the promise of God. You say, how can God be trustworthy? Well, he raised his son from the dead, for example. Okay? Now, we're not the Apostle Paul. Apostles are unique. This is a historic narrative, if you prefer, and historic narrative. But in principle, it's, it, it, it rings true. He was promised this. He was. Let's not talk about us. He was. So he could have courage and he could say to them, you all can have courage too because I'm going to live. And he told me that you are all going to live as well. I'm going to get to Rome. So have courage. Now, secondarily, by way of application, 
This is not a promise that every cruise you take will work out okay. Okay, it's not that. But when we have promises that are made to Christians in general, like nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, for example, it's a statement of special revelation, a promise from God, God's word, and based upon that word, that promise to Christians, and if you are a Christian, it applies to you, what? You should have courage, regardless of what's going on. See, theology actually is really, really important to practical daily living. I'm afraid. I don't think I can. I don't think I can keep going. What if something happens to me? What if? You can what if yourself into paralysis. You've got to know things that are true about God and His promises. You've got to know things. I know the Bible. I know the Bible says that knowledge can be a problem. Right? It can make you arrogant. But you have to know things. You have to know things that are true about Jesus. You have to know things that are true about his life and death and resurrection and the meaning of them. And he says, if you die, you will live if you believe in me. You have to know things, theology, and that will then allow you to then act a certain way, even though things are scary, even though things are uncertain, even though things are going badly. That's the, that's that's the big secret. The big secret is courage for Christians comes from knowing things about who God is, what he has done through his son, and that you can count on him and trust in him. Got to know this. Got to know this. It's critical. I'm not saying I'm good at this. I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. But if we want to talk about practical you want to be courageous? You need to know, you need to know facts. And then pray that God helps you to, to, to have those facts be what control you by the power of the Spirit, not circumstances. If there's nothing to take away from this, other than that, we need to take that away from this. Paul, you're going to get to Rome. He's going to get to Rome. Unstoppably so. That's not the promise to us, but there are promises to us. And just like this promise is going to be kept, the promises that are made to all Christians, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Though you die, you will live if you believe in me. Oh, oh, okay, good. I can be more courageous. I can be more bold. I can stand up for what's right, even though it might cost me who knows what. I don't have to be a chicken. I don't have to be a coward. It's dumb for Christians to be cowardice. And that would include me too. Okay, let's move on. Verse 26. But we must run aground on some island. That island is going to be Malta. Isn't it interesting in God's providence? He's not saying, and everything's going to be perfect. And everything's going to be wonderful. We'll just like hover over all the dangerous things. No, there's going to be calamity. There's going to be crisis. Verse 27 says, when the 14th night had come. So that's just about enough time to get from Cauda to Malta. 
between four and 500 miles in these kind of conditions. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, which was broader, it encompassed more then than it does now when it comes to geography. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. Maybe the sound of the surf. I don't know. That's what people guess. So they took a sounding. That would be a depth sounding. They're going to put the rope down in with the weight on the bottom and see how deep it is. It's not that complicated. And found 20 fathoms. So if a fathom is 6 feet, 20 times 6 is 120. And I went to public school. A little further, a little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. 15 times 6 is 90. Okay. Verse 20, so it's getting shallower. 29 says, And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. wonder who they're praying to. 30 says, And as the sailors were seeking to escape. Hmm, plot thickens, right? The music changes in the soundtrack. The sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat, the skiff, that smaller boat that we learned about before, into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. See, they're just planning to leave. Verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Maybe it's just because it's, it's all, this is just, God made the promise to save everybody, so we need to stay together. But how about even just the common sense aspect of, there's, there's work that has to be done, right? So when God makes a promise, it doesn't mean He doesn't use means. It doesn't mean we're not gonna have to all act and do things. I kinda like the latter take on it. Don't know for sure. Then it says in 32, let's keep going. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. See, there's, there's work to do. They actually have to act. This is not passivity. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Not because that's always true. Right? But these guys are going to live and they're going to see Rome. Now, we do, we all we know that Jesus says the hairs on our heads are numbered, but where Jesus says that, it's so you're not going to live any longer than has been decreed by God to live. So their promise is not our promise, but it's kind of like it, okay? It's true. We don't have to worry. Jesus says, don't worry. We don't have to worry. Not because we're going to live forever, but because we will never die a second early. Matthew chapter 10 is where Jesus talks about that. Matthew 10, 29 to 31. We could also look at Psalm 139, but we won't do that for the sake of time. Verse 35 says, And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Probably not the Lord's Supper with a bunch of pagans. Um, The church gathers um, together with believers to do this in remembrance of him because of what he's done for them. Um, probably just a meal here. I'd go out on a limb and say that. But he gives thanks to where thanks is due. He thanks his God, maybe not the gods they've been praying to, um, but they're going to eat. Verse 36 says, and we're going to go fast on these, then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. It's a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of souls. And when they had eaten enough, 
They lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. 40 says, so they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes and tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel around. The bow, the front, struck and remained immovable. And the stern, the rear, was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners. Roman soldiers are really serious about their jobs. Remember that when it comes to talking about Jesus and the tomb, by the way. Oh, and I'm just going to put my finger there for a second. Why have all these details? Who signed up to go to church to learn a bunch about first century boats? Luke wants to give enough details for you to go, hmm, sounds like somebody who was there. Huh. That's, that's believable when he tells us this stuff. Okay, I think that's why. Let's keep going. The plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. Because they would lose their own lives. They're responsible. They're accountable. 43 says, but the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Just like we knew was going to happen. Just like was promised in special revelation that was going to happen. It's amazing how that works out. And there is an illustration there to be seen regarding our salvation. This was temporary, temporal deliverance from harm. Our God does these kinds of things, but he also does ultimate salvation, ultimate deliverance from eternal harm, and we should know this. We're getting close to Rome. Next week, we're going to do chapter 28. And when we do chapter 28, we're going to see that Acts 1-8, phase one, if you will, it's reached to where it needs to go to the ends of the earth. Mission accomplished. So we'll finish up our study next week. Some of you are saying, what are we going to do after that? I think we're at least going to spend several weeks doing Exodus. Not the whole book of Exodus, but the motif, the theme of Exodus, because it's so important not only in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, but throughout the whole Bible, it's a major theme. So we'll at least spend a few weeks looking at that important deliverance theme in the book of Exodus. But for now, let me remind you, courage comes from knowing things and trusting God for his promises That's the key to being courageous, even though you might be afraid of the circumstances. Own that by the grace of God, because Christians are called to do hard things. Different from these things, but hard things. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for history. Thank you for biblical history. Thank you for the way that you've recorded this historical account for us to learn from, for us to be encouraged by. Thank you for what you're doing in the world now. We know that you are a God who works all things together for the good of those who belong to you by your grace. And we're thankful to be such people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.